Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House That Hinky Built podcast. Uh, as always, I am your host, Jackson Frank, and per usual, I'm hosting this on Spotify Greenroom. Uh, today, I'll be joined by Mike O'Connor. We'll talk a little bit of the Ben Simmons news in the report from Shams Trani of The Athletic this morning. Um, just touch on that for a little bit, but then the main uh, agenda today is to continue uh, my series of report cards. We'll focus on Seth Curry and Tobias Harris today, so Mike and I will discuss uh, their seasons, kind of maybe talk about how they could improve next year uh, and what we saw from them this year. Um, two guys who I think had pretty good seasons overall, um, so I'm excited to talk with Mike, and we'll get into that here shortly. Just waiting on Mike. Um, as always, if you're listening to this as a podcast, please, please, please uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Um, your reviews really do mean a lot to me, and if you have anything you'd like me to do better, you'd like to include those reviews, I'm more than willing to take that constructive criticism. Uh, it's been really cool to see all the support I've received for the, through this first month or so, uh, but I was looking to get better because this is a fairly new experience for me, so I know this is by no means uh, perfected this or anything like that. So uh, Mike is here now. We'll get into we'll start with some Ben Simmons news and then get into grading the seasons of Seth Curry and Tobias Harris. Hey, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jackson. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, and so I think just pretty clearly off the bat, there was a report from Shams Trani of The Athletic that the Sixers have engaged in trade talks uh, revolving around Ben Simmons. Uh, and one of the things that stood out to me in that article um, was the fact that it, I think the language used was, uh, I'm trying to pull it up here quickly so I don't butcher it because I think it's important to be precise on this. Um, the language Shams used in his article was, the writings on the wall for Simmons in his future with the franchise. Um, just kind of curious what, what you took away from that, that article. It wasn't anything extensive. It was more of just a, like, I think Sean just kind of did a, I don't know, just like a summary of what he's heard about some players right now. And so there's probably four or five paragraphs on um, Ben and his future. But what did you make of, of the report today? Um, yeah, I mean, it, in a lot of ways, it just kind of confirmed what we already thought and what we already knew. Um, I do think that it was a little interesting that, just like you said, the, the language that was used, because it, if there were any doubt, if anyone had you know, said maybe the Sixers will, will hold out and try and recoup his value, I don't think that's happening at this point. Just the way it was phrased, like if, if that were the case, then it would have been phrased something like the, the Sixers are open to hearing offers on Simmons, but would be content to keep him. Like there was no, there was no like out in, in the language, but that was like, but the Sixers would be fine to keep him and, and go into next year, blah, 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 blah. That wasn't, you know, the tone of it. So I, I felt like, you know, just just the fact that it was put in such certain terms kind of makes me feel like the Sixers are basically saying, like, the market is hot and come on, come all. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting, too, is it 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 seems to be, like, that they're very clearly being aggressive in shopping him because, like, the way I interpreted some of the reporting was that, like, Shams has multiple sources with varying interests on, on this on this topic. You know, at one point uh, it says like the Sixers, the Sixers want an All Star caliber player in return. Another point it says like interest across the league and Simmons remains robust. Like to me, those are kind of conflicting. And I don't want to speculate too much, but one that sounds like okay, there's a huge market for him. Then they're saying it's like well, they're asking a lot for this guy who's clearly on the market to try and maybe like you know maybe force the Sixers into taking a little less than they'd like. So all this does for me is it, it seems sometime in the next two and a half to three months, sometime between now and training camp, maybe into training camp, uh, Ben will have played, played his last, you know, practice or whatever it is with the Sixers. Like it just, 
I don't want to say foregone conclusion, but it just seems like they're very much determined to trade in. But at the same time, there is there's a, there's a big there's a big big market out there for him. I know Mark Stein also reported a few teams that are kind of interested in him. I think Minnesota, Indiana, um, a couple others. I'm trying to find it here quickly, but um, point being, the way I just interpret that is as you said, like kind of what we already knew. Like we already expected that that Ben would probably be gone. Um, but just the reporting around it is there's a lot of interest in him, but there's also a lot of interest in, in moving on from him, whether it's from the organization and maybe from his camp as well to try and try and get a fresh start and just, you know, kind of find his footing again in the league. Yeah. I think that, I think that like, there's a lot of concern on the, on behalf of fans of the, of a lot of people saying like, don't trade him if it's for nothing. Don't trade him if it's for nothing, because that, you know, everything we're discussing is like, it, it seems like it's a foregone conclusion that, that he's gone. And I think the natural, excuse me, the natural reaction from a lot of fans is like, well, don't do it just to do it. And my point would just be like, you don't, they're not going to have to, they're not going to have to sell him for nothing. It's mm-hmm. not going to be Malcolm Brogdon in a first round pick. That's, that's just not what, what it's going to be. I think that they're going to get a very solid return for him. Uh, and I think this article was pretty much just like confirming like, yeah, this, this is happening. Um, I do wonder, I mean, the only thing, and I honestly have no idea, you made the point that he probably has, you know, sources coming from multiple angles on this story. I do wonder who, who was the impetus of, like, kind of giving him this information. of Like, it definitely would be in the Sixers' best interest to say the market is heating up. Um, but I, I don't know, man. It's I, I wonder, like, who exactly was trying to plant this one. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, yeah, I mean, just, that's just kind of how, that's how all this, how, how all reporting goes, right? I mean, whether it's sports, whatever, whatever kind of feels we're, we're two sides of trying to gain leverage or multiple sides of trying to gain leverage. But, but yeah, I think the point you made about like, don't give them up for nothing is like, you know, like I, I, I agree that I'm not going to have to worry about that. Like the initial report from, I think Jason Dumas a couple weeks ago was that it was Malcolm Brogdon in the first and like Malcolm Brogdon is not as good as Ben Simmons, but he's a very good player and you get a first round pick. I know the Sixers are probably looking for more immediate contributors, but like, if that's kind of your starting point, like you're in a good spot, like, you know, Brogdon, I think, you know, like I've talked, I, I have Tony East on a few weeks ago, cover the Pacers. And we talked about Brogdon's fit. Like, yes, he's not been defensively by any means, but like you still get an above average defensive guard and a guy who can, you know, create a little bit and run some pick and rolls. So I think if that's kind of the starting point, you know, it's, it, it, like maybe they sacrifice a few wins because despite all bent inconsistencies this year in the regular season, he still was a very good regular season player. Um, but I think you're still going to get into a spot where maybe you're a little better equipped to to make it be on the second round. And the thing with Ben is that he is, his value shifts depending on the context, right? Like for the Sixers, it's it's tough because they have Joel Embiid. They're trying to win now. Like they have Daryl Morey running things, and Daryl is a guy who typically, you know, leads teams with, with title aspirations. Um, and so they're, they're, they have to look at it through like, what can Ben do for us beyond the first round? And, and Ben through three playoff appearances hasn't shown the ability to be that same all-star caliber player. Whereas maybe a team that's just trying to make the playoffs, maybe they won, maybe they're a 40 win team regularly or a 38 win team and Ben can turn them into a 46 win team. Like there's just, there's just different kind of attainable benchmarks. And that's why I think Ben will still have a lot of value um, around the league and the Sixers, as you mentioned, probably won't have to worry too much about, you know, getting pennies on the dollar for them. They're not going to have to do any of these ridiculous trades that were thrown initially after the Sixers season ended when it's like three role players and like a couple of late first or an early second form. Like it's just not going to happen. They're going to, they're going to be able to, they're going to be in a position where they can at least generally speaking, be in the hunt to, to win, you know, 50 set, 55, 58 games again next year, most likely regardless of who Ben, Ben brings back in a trade. Yeah. And the only thing that I keep saying that I think that all fans should have in mind 
is that barring you know barring them getting like Lillard or Levine or or Beal or one of those guys, what a Simmons trade means almost like almost no matter who you trade him for realistically, other than those guys, what it means is a slight step back in the regular season and a very real step forward in the postseason. Like that's that's just the reality, and that's that's the reality of Ben's game. And and like you said, he, he his value changes on the context. Um, and, and I just feel like there's going to be a lot of people who, like, if they trade him for C.J. McCollum and Robert Covington, people are going to be like, well, what the hell did we do this for? We won, you know, X percent of our games last year, and then we're going to, like, not win as many this year. And, like, the whole point that you have to keep in mind is, again, slight step back in the regular season, very real and necessary step forward in the postseason. That That is going to be the nature of this trade, like I said, almost regardless of who he goes for, unless it's a superstar yeah for sure i do want to i mentioned mark stein having some reporting here um on his Substack, which you can access this article through his twitter for free he reported that cleveland indiana minnesota and sacramento are known suitors toronto is also said to have expressed interest more rumors so just just to our point here that there's going to be a lot of suitors and some teams that probably have some enticing players for the sixers but um yeah i think that the point about taking a step back in the regular season like that you know, I'm not. I'm never going to like sit here and like tell fans how they should you know enjoy things. But mm-hmm. I think the the closest the receivers have gotten to really being a title contender was that year with Jimmy Butler, and they kind of coasted. They didn't coast, but they like like you knew they were better prepared for the playoffs than they were in the regular season. So you look at them like the Bucks. The Bucks took a step back in the regular season this year. Now, I mean, they might not win the finals, but they're they're three wins away. So I think like. Yes, it's, it was. It, I can totally understand why Sixers fans enjoyed this regular season. It was, I can imagine, it was super fun to win forty nine games or whatever it was and be the one seed. But I, I imagine it wasn't very, very fun to to lose to the Hawks in seven games. So I think it's it's okay to take a step back. And I think so so often in the last, you know, maybe starting with kind of the LeBron era, it's proven that like a lot of teams, the regular season just doesn't matter as much. You know, like LeBron teams coast sometimes. You know, the Warriors have coasted. Like the Suns took it really seriously this year, but the Bucks, you kind of. Took, you know, they kind of tinker with things a little bit. So um, I think generally speaking, the theme here is that, yeah, maybe they win four fewer games in the regular season, but they're, they have a higher season in the postseason. That's, that's, that's usually the most kind of, that should be the goal for any organization is to be any organization with playoff aspirations or title hopes or whatever, or a caliber player of Joel and Beats caliber is to be better prepared for the playoffs. And so I think a trading Ben, assuming they get you know, the proper return, we'll, we'll do that for them. But um, before we shift gears, anything you want to touch on or add about, about this discussion? No, I think that's that's exactly right. You summed it up nicely. Um, the, you could definitely make the argument that a part of their success this year was just they tried really hard in the regular season, <laughs> and a lot of teams were, were too injured or too uh, you know fatigued from the short turnaround or, or anything like that to to do so. So, yeah, I mean it's it's a necessary thing, just a necessary thing that this franchise has to do. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, even you know, even if they you know, took the regular season a little. More serious than some teams. Obviously, they were still cautious with Joel and Ben missing games. Tobias, but uh, anyhow, let's shift gears to talking about a couple of the the starters here in Seth Curry and Tobias Harris. A um, couple of guys who I think, generally speaking, have pretty pretty dang nice years um, for the Sixers in, in different ways. But let's start with Seth. Um, obviously, it was a a tale of many seasons for Seth. You know, he was uh, he got off to an incredible start uh, the first couple of weeks, and then you know dealt with COVID and was inconsistent for a while. Um, you know, was still very good in the regular season. You know, in the regular season, average twelve and a half points per game, short forty five percent from three, uh, about three assists, about a steal, two and a half rebounds. 
good for uh, 60.7% 60. true shooting. Um, so still a very great season, but clearly he was awesome in the playoffs. But um, what did you make of Seth's, Seth's year and just kind of how did you interpret all of it uh, and how he kind of he helped, helped this team? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, aside from the stretch where he, uh, you could clearly see and he said he was recovering from the after effects of COVID, I mean, he had an amazing year. I mean, without without question, the best year of his career by a very real margin. I mean, I, I think you have to view that as a step forward, a progression for him. It wasn't just that he, like, shot over his head. It, I mean, he he got better. Um, and I think that he just fit really, really nicely for what the roster asked him to do. Um, there were definitely, time, <clears throat> definitely times where it was frustrating to watch him pass up as many threes as he did. But in the playoffs, I mean, it was like, it was like someone tapped him on the shoulder and was like, "Hey, Seth, like you're one of the best shooters in the world. You should take more threes." And he was like, "Oh, okay." Like he just fi- he finally woke up to the fact that he can, mm-hmm. he can just like he can actually shoot with someone that's within four feet of him. You know, like, um, and when he does that, he's he's an amazing player. I mean, he was their second leading scorer in the playoffs, um, which you know, partly might like say something about this team, but it also says like something good about Seth that he was able to be the second leading scorer on a team that that almost went to the conference finals. Right. So, um, just, uh, I thought it was an, a really, really good year for, for him. And, uh, I like, it's so rare that a player at his age actually progresses and gets legitimately better and doesn't just have like a fluke season. But I think he did that. Yeah. And I will know. I think when you say like secondly, he was third in total points, but I think in the Hawks series, he was clearly their second option, right. In terms of kind of right. who they went to for, for scoring. Um, but yeah, in, in the playoffs, he averaged, Pulling it up here quickly, it, my computer just kind of glitched out uh, momentarily. But in the playoffs, he averaged 18.8 points, 58% from the field, 51% from three, 67% on twos, good for 72.7% true shooting across uh, 12 games. Um, so pretty ridiculous uh, season or postseason for him. Uh, I mean, just had just had some un- unreal stretches. Uh, I mean, game game. Five is obviously going to be overshadowed because of the way they, they you know, um, blew blew that game. But I mean, Seth was just unreal in that game. He had some other huge games as well. Um, I mean, he had he had a uh, one, two, three, four, five games with more than twenty points or twenty points or more. Excuse me, a uh, couple of thirty pieces. Uh, just a really, really impressive showing from him. And uh, I, I thought it was you know. I I knew who Seth was to an extent. Of course, I didn't have a great feel for him because I just just tough to you know have a great feel for guys for teams that you don't don't cover as in depth. But uh, I was impressed with kind of his his on ball juice a little bit. You know, I think a lot of people compared him to JJ Reddick coming into the year, and he was he was a different player than JJ. He just more he wasn't the off ball mover quite. The guy who was shooting from all these funky angles at, at full speed, but um, had definitely could do more in kind of those side pick and rolls things like that. Dribble handoff with Joel sometimes you know ban an early offense so. Uh, just really impressed with, with that part of his game, and I think you know, you know, Daryl when he did his kind of postseason presser right at the you know right after the, the season ended for the Sixers, um, talked about the fact that Seth got a lot better this year, and um, and so I think he he did some of that you know, in Portland and Dallas at times, but uh, I was just very impressed by the way he was able to you know be kind of a, a secondary ball handler. Now it's you didn't want to rely on you know a six one six two guy who clearly still has some you know deficiencies as a d- defender, but. Uh, just really impressed with that part of his game, and just I I can't say enough good things about him in the postseason. I mean, just just the just the confidence and the fact that he was shooting, like he was shooting pull up threes in transition, like you know, it was like Dame or Kyle Lowry or Steph Curry, as some of the stuff that 
he was not doing the regular season. He was passing up a lot of shots. And um, I know the Sixers offense kind of folded or definitely folded down the stretch of that series against the Hawks. But um, there were long stretches where that Sixers offense was really cooking. And you know, obviously, Joel was leading that. And Tobias, for, Tobias, when it was cooking, was playing well. But a lot of that was Seth just, like, you know, saying, I am a really good scorer or a really good shooter, and I'm going to get to my spots and transition her, you know, 20 feet out or things like that. So um, just a really, really – really encouraging season for him. And I, I really am interested to see what he does next year in terms of kind of what role he has, like how much they demand of him to score. And when they do ask, ask him to be a scorer, is he going to be the, the confident player we saw in the postseason, or is he going to be kind of the timid one? Because I think there's a clear difference in how good this offense can be depending on the version you get. Yeah. Do you think, um, this is something I was thinking about earlier. Do you think there's any chance he gets traded this off season? Because I could just see, if they trade Ben for like a guard, like let's just say they trade Ben for McCollum, just as an example, right? At that point, as strange as it sounds, they kind of have like a, an overabundance of guards. And I mean, Seth is clearly better right now than at this exact moment than a Maxi or Shake or whoever. Um, but I also think that there's a chance that they could look at it and be like, you know, again, if they get CJ McCollum back, maybe they look at it and say, maybe we could use Seth as part of a sign-in trade to, to Toronto for Kyle Lowry, right? Like that type of thing. And once you, once you, you know, trade Ben and um, you're, you're looking at the shape of the roster next year. I mean, I could just kind of see that making sense. And it would also be the case that you would be trading guy at the peak of his value um, for, again, like for as much as shooting is incredibly useful everywhere, once you swap Ben out for someone that can shoot, the, the roster becomes less of like a dire need to have elite shooting at every position. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what, like, do you think that's a possibility at all? I think the only thing they would do it for is if it's significant talent upgrade, like like a Kyle Lauer. Like, I don't think they would just do it because, oh, we right. kind of have a couple of, you know, defensively limited players in the backcourt now. Because as you mentioned, if you get rid of Ben, like if you want, if you want to make Seth kind of your lead ball handler off the bench and start Matisse, like, you have more leeway to do that now. Like, I'm not saying that's what they would do, but when you when you remove Ben from the equation, a guy who, you know, just is such a non-factor off the ball, obviously because of the shooting, but also because of just a general lack of activity at times, like, it it makes it easier. So, and the fact that what Seth's making, like, $8 million for the next couple of years, like, he's on an right. incredibly team-friendly discount. Like, I, I hope he gets paid a ton his next free agency because he's going to deserve it. Um, but... Yeah, I think to me that's the only thing is it would have to be like a huge talent upgrade because like he fits so well. I mean, I think he proved this year that he's a starting caliber player, even if he's on the lower end. I mean, that's mm-hmm. but to make to make eight million for a couple more years, maybe it's three. I think it's no, it's two more because he signed with Dallas. I think it was four for thirty-two. Um, let me double check here quickly. But so that, to answer your question, like I would be surprised, and I the only way, way I would do it is if it's if it's for a significant talent upgrade, like a Kyle Lowry, um, and even in, I think like. You wouldn't be getting, you wouldn't be attaching much because sign and trades just don't don't fetch that much. I've talked about that on, on this podcast before that you know sign and trades historically just don't you don't get a ton back in them. I mean the Sixers got Joe, uh, Josh Richardson, you know the the, the the Hornets got back Terry Rozier. Like it's it's much it's lower it's, it's lesser tier players than the guy that's going out. So um, yeah, he's due he's due sixteen point seven million. It looks like just about over the next couple of years. So uh, for a guy who I think you know has proven to be a starting caliber player, you're certainly gonna you're gonna keep that. So um, or you know, take that. So that's that's how I feel. How do you? Where do you stand on this in terms of maybe yeah. him, him being traded? I'm I'm with you. I mean, I I just think that 
you know, when we when we talk about a sign and trade, it's probably like you said going to be for a star caliber player like a Lowry, and a team like that might might be I'm not going to say more interested, but they might be particularly interested in someone like Seth who's ready to to contribute now and win now, as opposed to you know a Maxi who um, we all very much believe in, but is probably a few years away from his prime. Um, so I could I could see Toronto thinking like, you know, like we are trying to win right now. We have players who we think can compete and help us get to the top half of the East. Um, you know, Van Vliet is going to be our, our full-time point guard. And Seth could kind of, you know, assume that combo guard role. Um, and I, I mean, I just think my general point here is that I think a lot of um, non-tanking teams will be very interested in Seth. And, uh, and, you know, I, I just, I could see it happening again, like Daryl, once, once you get off of Ben, like you just have the opportunity to reshape this roster in whatever way you want. And I'm not saying Seth wouldn't be awesome here, no matter who's here, but I could see Daryl just looking at it in the sense of like, this guy has a lot of value right now. Um, it's not as dire of a need to have him and we could potentially use this guy as a trade piece instead of, you know, giving up Max or Thibel or one of those guys. Yeah, for sure. And I, 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 I don't even, I wonder like if in this hypothetical where, where Lowry wants to come to Philadelphia and the only way to execute is a sign and trade kind of similar to the, the Jimmy to Miami stuff a couple of years ago. Uh, like I, I wonder if Toronto could even get Maxi in, in that, in that case. Yeah. Like, I, like I just, I just don't, they wouldn't have much leverage there. And I think even if Toronto decided, okay, Lowry's gone, like maybe you want to move Siakam too. Like if you get Seth Curry back, you can, you can move Seth Curry for maybe a younger player and a pick or something like that, or a pick like, Seth gives you a lot of optionality in the sense that like you can just like if you want to win now he makes doesn't make a ton you can just like you can just you can continue to try and get you continue to try to build with Seth with your core of Siakam and and Van Vliet and and OG and whatnot and if you decide okay we're going to kind of finally embrace a rebuild here you can move Seth because you can move Seth again because he doesn't make a ton of money and he's a very good player you know especially he's a very good player especially in comparison to what he makes so uh yeah I, I think I would be surprised like I think like he, he to me is one of the guys that like I think is least likely to be traded. Like obviously Joel is is not going to be dealt, but I think among everyone else, like I think everyone else is on the table, but I think Seth is pretty far down the list of yeah. like he's pretty well entrenched on on this roster because of how well he fits. Um, but obviously the fit could change if if the roster is, is significantly reshaped, as you said. So, um, are there any areas you like assuming Seth's on the roster next year? I think is pretty safe despite us discussing this. Any areas you'd like to see Seth continue to improve and maybe take another step forward as he really kind of enters the heart of his prime. I mean, just continue to shoot the ball when you're open, man. That's, that's, that's simple. Um, he just got to, he's got to do that more consistently. Uh, he did it in the playoffs and the results were incredible. So, you know, hopefully that carries over. Um, outside of that, I mean, I, he has a tendency to throw some really lazy, bad passes. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a lot of other stuff for him to, to rework, you know, about his game. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think that definitely agree. And I think like, I mean, I'm trying to pull like he, his three point rate up was up, up to a little bit kind of closer to his, his numbers in Dallas. He was about 56% is one year in Dallas down to 51% this year. He asked to create a little more. So that makes sense. Tougher to just self create threes at that size. Sometimes up in the playoffs this year is up to 55%. So, uh, and it took about two more shots per 100 possessions. So and I think, you know, two doesn't sound like a, a ton, but I think, for every like every game, if you're taking two more shots, that's that's meaningful, and you saw that at times this year. So I tend to agree. Like I, I really like I, I just really am curious to see 
what Seth get next year. Because regardless, he's a good player. Like he was still good in the regular season. If he was like, even if he just shot his normal numbers in the playoffs, like he still would have been a better version because of the rest of But I just am curious because sometimes you see playoffs propel guys into, into huge, you know, seasons. I mean, talking about CJ McCollum, CJ, you know, when Wesley Matthews went down and the Blazers played the Grizzlies, he did a great series against the Blazers, against the Grizzlies, and then propelled that into a most improved player of the year award. I'm not mm-hmm. saying Seth's going to win that, but sometimes you see the playoffs really become a springboard for guys um, to really kind of define themselves. And, and Seth is a guy who, yes, he's been in the league for a while and had a, had a rotation role, but like first, it was his first year starting. Like you just don't know sometimes how those things affect guys in, in terms of how for the better. So just really fascinating to see how, how he performs and what, what version we get. But um I think for me, like when I'm grading him, like it's pretty, like I give him an A plus. Like for the Sixers, I, I'm I'm weighing the playoffs a lot more heavily. Like I said, I was trying to do it through these report card series, and I mean he was just he was just incredible in the playoffs, and was still very good in the regular season, especially knowing that he was battling you know through the after effects of COVID and whatnot. So for me, it's a pretty simple A plus. Where do you land on the scale for the Seth season? Yeah, me too. I'm mean, A or A plus. I mean, there's very few holes I can poke in his game and. Again, you take that that stretch out where he was recovering from COVID, and it's just front to back an incredible season. Yeah, absolutely. I think the important thing to note when when I when I'm evaluating players and when we're kind of grading guys is that doesn't mean assess an A plus player. I mean, he clearly has his own flaws, but you have to assess guys in who they've shown to be and in what Seth's shown to be. He clearly kind of maxed out his abilities, and so for for me, it's a pretty clear A plus. Um, anything you want to add about Seth before we maybe shift gears to to Tobias and discuss uh, Tobias's resurgent or, or breakout season? Um, no, I think we've tied it up nicely. Cool. Um, so we'll shift to Tobias now. Uh, you know, he is a guy who the Sixers, you know, traded a significant amount for a couple, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, a couple of picks, Andrew Shamit, um, Wilson Chandler was more, I think he was just salary filler. I mean, he's a player of course, but uh, he was more of just used to help make that trade work in terms of getting Mike Scott and Bob Marjanovic back. But, uh, had quite honestly disappointed his first year and a half with the Sixers, you know, had a really awesome year with Doc in LA before the trade was kind of a fringe all-star in the West, I think, or maybe at least got some, just got some praise for it or consideration for it in the West, which is a a huge testament. The West obviously clearly has a little more uh, depth of of talent in the all-star rosters. So, um, but was, was not great uh, with the Sixers. Um, It was very poor in that Toronto series. I think it was, was it game four when he shot like five of 21 or something like that? It was like one of 10 from three. Um, I think it was game it was five, I think. Game, game four, if I can't, I can't remember. One, one of the, no, I think it was game, because game four, they barely lost. Kawhi hit that dagger three. Game five, they just got blown out of the water. So I think right, it was, right, right. But, yeah. but regardless, Tobias struggled in that year and he wasn't great. He wasn't great in year two when they kind of reshaped the roster once Jimmy left and they brought in Josh Richardson and Al Horford. And that wasn't all his fault. But um, anyhow, that's a little too negative. But my point being is, Tobias had some struggles his first year in Philadelphia and really turned it around for the most part. Um, you know, had a really, really awesome year. I think he was the Sixers second best player. Like I, I, you know, I think, I mean, he was definitely, I thought he was definitely their second best player in the regular season, struggled a little bit in the playoffs, but um, his biggest rival is Ben Simmons who, you know, for second best player and Ben obviously has his own struggles. So um, I just thought Tobias played through physicality better. I thought he was better on defense. Um, I thought he, even though he still has some areas to improve as a passer, I thought he was better there. Um, you know, just was a really, really good, like mismatch hunter, really good work in the mid post this year. Um, still has some issues and you saw them kind of rear their head in the playoffs, but, um, a much, a much improved season for Tobias, especially compared to his, his first year and a half in, in Philadelphia. So what did you make of, of this season for Tobias? 
Yeah, the, I mean, there's you nailed it. I mean, he had a great season without a doubt. The only um, hole that I can poke in it is that all of the things that he did better this year relative to other years are things that he was really like already good at, right? Like he was already pretty good at creating a shot for himself in the mid range. You know, he could always back mm-hmm. guys down and and uh, and shoot over them. Um, he shot even fewer threes. He shot like <laughs> I, I forget what the number was this year. But it was down from last year when everyone mm-hmm. was like, how the hell does this guy not shoot more threes? Um, <laughs> so he went down in that sense. He only went up a little bit in uh, free throw attempts. Um, like you said, other stuff, you know, passing and defense, I thought he was a little better. Um, but it's, you know, I I think that I had sort of bought into the idea that he was, you know, he had improved and he had had this really nice bounce back season. And then in the playoffs, you just kind of realize, like, man, he's still the same. He's not the same guy, but he's still this guy who is just when he when to even when Tobias gets going and he's playing really well, it's still like two points followed by two points followed by two points followed by two points, and he's still passing up threes with six feet of space, and he's still not getting to the free throw line. Um, there were definite times where he looked like, and he, and I'm not just looked like, but he did become that guy who can close a game out. I mean, he did that against the Lakers back in January. Um, he had a really good overtime in that jazz game in March um, mm-hmm. where he just looks like he's ready to be the focal point of the offense, right? But um, it's it's a little bit, you know, similar to the, the, ben, the ben thing where it's like Ben can have these stretches where he looks like that, you know, pr- primary option and, and, you know, everything that we want him to be. But then he tends to come back down to who he's been, you know, and in, in, in like other stages of his career, right? And I think that's that was the case for Tobias as well, where it's like you definitely saw examples more often than the previous couple of years of him being able to carry an offense and being the go-to guy and um, you know scoring efficiently and that sort of thing. But when it got to nut cutting time in the playoffs, um, he still had plenty of prolonged stretches where it was like where is he? And when you do see him, it's like, he's, it's just two points and it's never, uh, it's never a trip to the free throw line. It's never a three. Um, and it just makes you wonder like, you know, what is his, what is his ultimate value? Because even like, I didn't, I remember feeling after that Hawk series, like he like really played poorly. I like, I felt that way. And then I looked at the, the stats and they were like, his numbers were almost identical to regular season, to his regular season numbers like almost identical. And that just kind of makes me wonder. Um, it, it just makes me wonder, like, did he really progress or did he, did he just have like a season where he was making more of his, uh, his mid range, you know, pull ups or, or turnarounds or that sort of thing. Like I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a fair point. Like was it was one of those things where the ball is going in more. So we, as, right. as writers or analysts look for things to explain it beyond just, just shooting variants. Um, but, but I do feel like for me, like, I do think he got better in some areas. And the weird thing about Tobias's playoff run is like, obviously he was great. He was mostly great against the wizards and he was very good. The first three and a half games, of that Hawks series, like that, mm-hmm. and that, that was so weird about both he and Ben, like, like they were playing, like they were playing pretty well for the first half of the series. And then all of a sudden it's like that game four meltdown just like totally took them out of the series. Like, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like other guys bounced back and they, and they were fine, but it just seemed like Tobias never recovered. He was really quiet in the, in the, the final stretch of game four, then two of 11 in game five. 
9 of 20. He was okay in game 6. 9 of 20, 24 points, a few free throws. But 8 of 24, 6 free throws, 24 points in game. He gave some of the last three games of that series, 34.5% from the field, 30.8% from three. Um, you know, only got to the line 10 times and playing 40, like 40 plus minutes a night. Like that's what was so weird about he and Ben. And I'm, I'm, I'll talk about Ben on a different episode, of course, but like, it just like things were going well. It looked like Tobias actually turned a corner to become a better playoff scorer. And then game four happened and they, they melted in the, in the second half and the third quarter would have ever blew that 18 point lead. And it's like, it just took Tobias out of, out of the player we thought he'd become, but he just kind of resorted back, reverted back to some some old tendencies. And I think you mentioned that, like, it's two points, two points, no free throws. You know, it's the mid-range pull-ups and pick and rolls. It's, it's the mid-post face-ups, the bully ball type thing. It's emblematic of the Sixers' greater issues is that they don't have enough guys on this team who really, like, force help defenders to gravitate toward them. Obviously, Joel does that. And you can see how well Joel functions in certain those roles in that in that role to an extent. Um, but Tobias is a guy where, like, generally speaking, the defense is going to be comfortable with single coverage on him. Ben, they're Ben, they're obviously comfortable as well, and so that just makes like you just saw the the issue with that. Like, even if because even if a guy like I don't know, let's say let's say you got like Zach Levine or something is having a tough night, like he's still going to get downhill, he's still going to draw help defenders. Like, he can still impact the offense because of the convention the. Of, the tension he commands, excuse me, Tobias isn't that guy. And you saw how much that hurts the offense. Like if the shot's not falling for him, he's not much of an offensive plus. And that's what differentiates him from a, you know, maybe a top 25 player versus a top 40, top 45 player. And you saw how much the Sixers offense struggles because he's just not that guy. And that's not, I mean, that's, he deserves responsibility. That's not like all of his fault. Like the Sixers need a, a player better than him that can do that. But you just saw how much they, they need the ball to go in for him for the offense to really flow. And he just, he isn't that guy who you know can still really create a ripple effect in the offense like some of the best best scorers around the league can. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and it's we I think we've talked about this uh, you know maybe a month or two ago where it, when Maxi comes in and he starts putting pressure on the rim downhill, it's like whoa, what is this guy <laughs> like? Where did this guy come from? And it's because there's no one else on the roster that that does that. It's like you know come off of a screen just just fly past the big man and who's like showing or or in like a a high drop coverage and then like drawing the the defense and the ball starts swinging like there's no one else on the the roster that does that uh and and Tobias doesn't do that either the other thing that you could still poke holes in his game um is that he's not you know I've heard this term used a lot lately and I really like it he's not a good maintainer like when you when someone creates an advantage and the ball swings to him Mm -hmm. he's not great at beating a closeout and making the right pass and that sort of thing like and that's another flaw that you could point to on this roster that I, I would contrast it with like the jazz where the jazz, like when the ball starts moving, it just keeps, it's just like flying around the perimeter, right? Like, like Ingles just like beating a closeout, like making, making the right pass. Then Bogdanovich like pump fake, get by like another pass. And then Conley catches it and he does the same thing. And it's like just widening the advantage with every single pass and every single, you know, drive. And not only Tobias, but the Sixers roster in general just doesn't have guys that do that. They haven't had guys that do that for a long time. Um, but I think Tobias is can be especially guilty of it where it's like, you know, how many times this year did we hear the phrase like Tobias needs to make quick decisions? Um, and, you know, th- like that's just I feel like professional basketball players shouldn't have to be prodded to make quick decisions. Right. Like you should just be able to, to be, you know, in that moment, you know, make, make that right decision. Um, 
and that is that is definitely another another hole in his game. We're being super negative about a guy who had a really great <laughs> season, but uh, but there are definitely holes to poke in his game. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that point about like that maintainer is an interesting term I hadn't heard, but I, but I like how it kind of you know, reflects that role. And I think that's part of what makes Tobias challenging to play a smaller role because you look at it when he was kind of the, the third option offensive in the half court behind Jimmy and, and Joel, like he wasn't, he's not that guy, right? Like you think he's, like he is a pretty versatile offensive player. Like he has a different, a lot of different ways you can deploy him on the ball, but he struggles to maybe scale down a little bit in the sense that he isn't a super quick decision maker. He likes to be methodical. Like he, he enjoys dictating offense on his term rather his terms rather than maybe how a possession flows. So that that makes it tough. But but yeah, there. I mean, as you said, we are maybe being a little too critical of a guy who had a, a much improved year and was you know was a was a top twenty ish or so player in the East more or less. I don't know. This is just off the top of my head. Um, maybe a little, I don't know exactly, but um, don't hold me to it. But point being is he was a very good player this year and it was clearly much better um, than he was in prior years. I think his his relative to, relative true shooting, which compares. Players who are shooting to league average almost about three points higher this year than last year. Um, so last year he was 0.9% lower than league average. This year he was 2.7, 2.5 points above league average, which is just about three and a half points higher. Um, you know, the three point efficiency was down, but was a really good two point scorer. Shot about 55% on twos. Um, I thought he was better defense. Like he still has some issues in terms of like complicated or long rotations can really mess him up, but I think he, he was. Very good post defender, which he's been for a few years now, but thought he was good at digs too in the post. Um, is a pretty good rebounder. He still has times where I, I find myself frustrated by the lack of boxing out, but he does attack the ball pretty well, and that helps the Sixers too um, because he's a guy you can entrust to run some transition offense or some early offense. So um, I thought Tobias had a really nice year. And I, I, we did the kind of get into the nitty gritty of where he needs to improve, but. Um, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's just kind of rally too. Like, I mean, if we're going to talk about the things Ben needs to do better, the other guy who's making, you know, a lot of money, and that's not to say like a guy has to be great because he makes makes a lot of money, but a guy who's entrusted to be the second or third best player has areas to improve too. And he isn't without responsibility for the Sixers falling short of their goal. Um, just as nobody on the roster is, you know, there are varying levels of responsibility, but Tobias has things he could have done better. And if he would have been a better scorer and better, you know, offensive centerpiece or one of the offensive centerpieces, they would have had a better chance. So, um, really great year for Tobias, but um, Mike, where where do you think kind of the attainable places he can improve for next year that could maybe take him from that top 45, 50 range to maybe right into that fringe all-star tier and maybe give the Sixers a, another boost? Because to Tobias' credit, he has typically gotten a ton better throughout his career, even though he was a little bit stagnant for a little for a little while in Philly. He's, he's made this big strides over his, his decade in the league. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just got to be the, the times that we see him looking like the guy who is, <clears throat> excuse me, who is capable of leading an offense. Like what I see is a, a a greater insistence on getting all the way to the rim. Like I think about that that Jazz, you know, overtime overtime period, and he was just like backing down Bogdanovich and and I think Ingles. I forget who else was guarding him. Um, and it was like, how many times have we seen Tobias? back down somebody where he has a size advantage and then like on his third dribble it's like a you know it's like a a, a fade away or a turnaround or something like that whereas like he was just bullying these guys getting all the way to the rim like drop steps like that sort of thing and i think that is probably the most attainable thing for him because you know the the threes thing is like it's like it, it drives you nuts but it's like it's it's not going to change clearly it's not going to change but what i do think is that he's very comfortable playing with physicality and that's mm-hmm. what I would try to get more, you know, from him is just like, 
okay, you, you like, uh, you know, getting contact and, and initiating contact and that sort of thing. Like use that mentality to get all the way to the rim and cut out some of these, you know, eight to 10 foot jumpers or floaters and just like, you know, get, get better looks closer to the rim. So that would be, that would be my number one emphasis. What, what's yours? Yeah, I think, I think that, and then a little more continued growth as a pass. Like I don't expect like Tobias, I think for his, for his offensive usage is probably a below average passer. Um, but I thought he got better. And like, I thought he got better at pocket passes. Like, I don't know how attainable it is. Maybe I'm being too, you know, utopian with it, but like, I would love to see him become a better skip passer out of pick and rolls. Like I think so often teams have been able to kind of pre-rotate on those plays because they know that Tobias isn't going to hit the, the weak side corner for threes. And a lot of times it's a good shooter in the corner. Like the Sixers for all their faults offensively, they, they have a lot of shooting on the roster now. Um, and so I think if Tobias can take that stuff, it doesn't have to be every time. It doesn't have to be like Luca or whatever in, in terms of the skip pass ability, but just a little more ability to make that pass, I think would open up the offense a lot. Um, but I tend to agree too, that just swapping some of those eight footers for three footers would help. I mean, just looking at his basketball reference page, he basically just all, all, all the, all the threes he took last year, he allotted to kind of that, that short mid range area. Like last year's three point rate was 30.4%. This year it's down to 22 and a half percent. His, uh, his percentage of shots from three to 10 feet was 21.4% last year. This year up to 313 So like not quite a perfect trade-off, but like almost almost right there where in terms of like, that was the shots he was prioritizing more this year instead of the threes. And it makes sense just process-wise that Tobias was going to shot fake and attack. That's kind of the spot he was going to get to right rather than the rim. And so to your point, you'd much prefer him to get all the way to the rim and, and shoot there. So um, I agree with that, but I also just like a little more passing growth because I think having more guys in the half court who can hit those those weak side skip passes for corner shooters would open up the offense a lot. I think it could really benefit them because, as I said, they've got the shooting now, whether it's whether it's Danny Green, Seth Curry, Danny Green's a free agent, but Sixers can bring him back, as I talked about on the last podcast. Danny Green, George Hill, Shake Milton, uh, Seth Curry, they have guys who can hit corner three. And so if, if one of your lead ball handlers from the perimeter is a little more adept at making those passes, it it would certainly help them and kind of you know maybe boost the offense by – you know, half a point, a point or two points or whatever it is from, from a game to game perspective. Huh. Uh, looks like Mike is gone. I'm going to bring him back here. Uh, I apologize for that. But, uh, but yeah, so I think that we make you there. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know what happened. I got disconnected there, but we're all good now. All good. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I think all I, all I said was just, I mainly agree with your point about maybe trading some of those those mid range those short mid range jumpers for the finishes, but I would also like to see him improve the skip passes out of pick and roll, which I think that could really help the collective offense and maybe address some of the things that I talked about in the sense that if the shot if the jumper's not falling or the shot's not falling for Tobias, still be a still be a viable offensive that I think that could really really help the offense. But um touched on a lot of things today. Anything you wanna you wanna add about Tobias before we, we kind of close for the the afternoon? Yeah, well, let me ask you the same question I asked about about Seth. What do you think the chances are he gets traded? Uh, yeah, that's tough. I I lean pretty firmly no because I think as as true as the idea is that no contract or player is untradeable, I do think a lot of contracts don't have utility for certain teams in terms of improving the roster, and I think that's where Tobias stands. Like, I just I don't know if you're trading Tobias, how are you getting? Like, what are you doing to get better? Like, like. I mean, like the you look at maybe a trade from a trade in terms of you know like some big contracts recently, whether it's the John Wall, John Wall Russell Westbrook swap or the Russell Westbrook Chris Paul swap. Like th- those those trades weren't des- like those trades weren't designed for you know the the Rockets say oh, we're going to get a lot better. 
Um, well, I guess they were, but it didn't work out. Like, in the Thunder weren't like, oh, we're going to take on Chris Paul because we want to get better. The Thunder were like, yeah, we'll take him on. We'll get some picks as well because we're going to shift into a rebuild. Um, so my point there is I just, I just don't know what's, what's available for the Sixers to trade a guy who's making a lot of money. He was a very good player, but I just don't know how that will work. So I, I lean, I lean to be pretty skeptical of that happening. Cause I just, I don't know how they get, how they get better out of that. I don't know like what, what team would be interested or what teams would be interested in taking on Tobias because he's, he's in the heart of a prime and he makes a lot of money. So I just don't know how that will work. Where do you stand on this, on this topic? <laughs> I completely agree with everything you just said. You know, it's hard for it's hard like to imagine a perfect trade. Somebody in the chat just suggested trading for Kemba. I mean, that's that's an interesting one. Um, I have not dug into the numbers on Kemba or, or you know what he looks like, um, but that's an interesting idea. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, man. Like I, everything you just said again is correct. It's it's hard to find a suitor for him. Um, there's a chance that just like, you know, he's, he's more valuable on this roster than he is in a trade. Um, at the same time, I feel like his profile as a player is so antithetical to what we've grown to know Daryl Morey to like that. I think there, there has to be a chance, right? Like Daryl, like just, I don't mean to just like lump everything in analytics as to just like shoot threes, but like that's a huge part of it. And Tobias doesn't shoot enough and he doesn't get to the line. And like that lack of efficiency, I could just see Daryl looking at him and saying like, this guy is empty calories and he improved his value, you know, now to the point that we won't have to give up some major asset to get off of him. Um, So, I I mean, I could see it. I will say that there's definitely going to be, you know, considerations at play in terms of, you know, if they trade Ben and like you, you might, you might get involved into too much of an overhaul of a overhaul of a roster. If you're also trading Tobias, um, you, you kind of want to have some continuity, uh, around Embiid next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think that because he's, his profile as a player is so different from what we've grown to know Daryl Morey to like that. It is, it is a, a definite possibility is what I would say. Yeah. I think, Maybe less so empty calories, but more the sense he leaves a lot on the table as a scorer, right? Like that, yeah. that, that would be the way I, I would phrase it. Because he's, he's clearly a good player. When I think empty calories, I think about the guy who's on a bad team, averaging 21 on 52% true shooting. That's not Tobias. So, um, yeah, I tend to I tend to agree. Like, I just, you know, what what Daryl wants offensively is guys who can create highly efficient looks or easy looks. And Joel obviously does that because Joel is, I mean, one of the two or three best foul draws in the NBA. Is, is a, I mean, averaged, what, 30 on 63% true shooting this year. Uh, James Harden did that, of course. You know, you know, Chris Paul was a great producer of, of quality looks as a passer um, and obviously has mid-range prowess. Um, Tobias isn't that guy. Like you said, he's, he's just not going to generate a lot of highly efficient looks. He's good in a lot of areas. Like, you look at his cleaning the glass and you see all these really, you see all these great, you know, these these orange percentiles, but then it's like, but the frequency from where he's shooting a lot of these isn't great. So I totally get where you're coming from. And I think, you know, process or philosophy wise, I tend to agree. I just don't know what's out there, but again, that's, that's not my job. It's not my job to know what's, what's available, what, what the market looks like. So I think I definitely lean a little more toward you in the sense that just philosophy wise, I wouldn't be surprised, but um, right now it's, it's tough to know what's out there. But again, I've, I always maintain that like the NBA moves incredibly quickly um, quicker than most people, you know, fans, analysts, you know, anyone really anticipates typically. So uh, I would not be surprised, but I just, I just wonder what, what's the market, you know, what's, what's available to improve this team. But, uh, and then the other thing too, is and this isn't, this is a, 
a smaller detail, but like I do think Tobias was a pretty important person in terms of like improving the I don't know, like kind of the vibes of the locker room. I know they probably weren't created yeah. at the end, but I think he was he was an important leader. Like a lot of a lot of the younger guys and people just always singled out Tobias as someone who is, is a leader and he's obviously very well liked around the league and, and whatnot. So that makes it that maybe makes it easier too if there's a market out there for him when he has such a great personality. That's not to me it's not they're gonna keep him because he's a leader, but I do think that matters to an extent in terms of kind of maintaining the locker room, especially after 2019-20 when things were so down. And Tobias was was there too, but I think he was he was an important part of this team kind of regaining some I I don't want to say like they were joyless in 2020, but regaining some joy. No, they were. How it, they were. All right, <laughs> they well, were joyless. That's, that's fair. Uh, but yeah, and obviously they they struggled. Toward, there was an absence of joy in turn turn toward the end of that Hawk series, but clearly a lot more a lot more uh, good vibes and chemistry throughout the, the the most of the duration of the season. So I tend to, I tend to kind of see where you're coming from, and I, I agree. So I don't want to I don't want to act omniscient because I don't know what's out there, and that's important to to acknowledge. You don't know what you don't know what you don't know. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think we're in agreement there. But I told I could I would not be surprised like if if Tobias does get traded. I think the the reasons you outlined would, would certainly kind of be it. He just doesn't create a lot of easy or highly efficient shots, even though he's very good at a lot of tough shots. That can be a, a tough recipe in the playoffs, as we saw in the the important games this year, the most important games this year for the Sixers. Totally. I mean, I the, the, I can't think of anything off the top of my head of uh, like a, an example where this makes sense. But I will say, if they're able to pull off a Ben trade where they get some you know, all-star type guy, let's just say like Levine in return. I mean, I could see, I could see a trade similar to the Horford trade where it's like you trade Tobias for someone like, a, you know, a Danny Green um, who is a better fit, you know, his, his skill set is, you know, just like easier to slot in next to someone like Levine and Embiid. Um, and you maybe have to give up a pick or something like that, but it's like that type of framework where it's like, you take my ginormous contract and in return we can get, you know, a, a very good contributing veteran on a one-year deal. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, Tobias probably has more value, definitely has more value than Horford did at this time a year ago. Um, but I think if it does happen, that's probably the type of framework I could I can envision. Again, I don't know what exactly that would be but uh, or if that's out there, but I think that would be the type of trade if it happens. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think just given Daryl Morey's MO, we, we know he's not going to be, be quiet on the trade front and is not, you know, not unwilling to try and shake up things. I mean, he added, he added two different starters last year, uh, you know, a week, a month into the job or whatever it was. So, uh, yeah, I typically, I tend to agree. And, you know, I think as we continue to get closer and closer to the true offseason, we'll, we'll have more, uh, more to discuss about that. Mike, I appreciate you coming on. Where can people find your work? Where can they, where can they follow you? Give yourself a little shout out here. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, you can find me on Twitter at moconnor underscore NBA. Uh, you can find my Sixers writing at writes to Ricky Sanchez. Um, if you're in Philly, you can hear me on WIP a couple times a week, and you can also catch my gambling column every Friday at the Odds Factory. Awesome, appreciate it, Mike, and appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, I'll be back on Thursday. Today is Tuesday. I always have to do the the running the running calendar in my head, but I'll be back Thursday to close out this series with the uh, the two big guns and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But uh, Mike, once again, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, in the meantime, until Thursday, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I will talk to all of you again soon.